Next Chapter Podcasts. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is my favorite part of the whole record. When I come home so cold at night, you'll have the fireplace burning bright. You hear the strings? Ah, the strings are giving me quivers. It's For You by Big Star off their 1978 album Third Slash Sister Lovers. It's also number 449 out of 500 on the Spotify original, The 500 with me, the King Kadoogle, the King of Fleece, Josh Adam Myers. What's up, everybody? Fleece Army at ease. You can chill and enjoy yourselves. This is the only podcast where each week we're going through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. And man, I had heard people talk about Big Star for a long time. Just never made their way into my ear, Kadoogle. And then they did. They've sat there and they're setting up camp and uh, starting a civilization in my brain. Really, really enjoyed this record. Really, really enjoyed all the positive feedback that you guys gave about the Judd Apatow episode. It was fantastic. If you haven't listened to it, go back. Just one. Just go right back. That's like literally. Open up your Spotify app. Go to the podcast. See the one you're listening to right now. And the one right, it could either be below or above, but it's right there in that quadrant. Listen to it. Enjoy yourselves. It's a great episode. Also, thank you to everybody that's doing the screenshots on your Instagram stories of how you're listening to the 500 do it. Take that screenshot. Tag me at Josh Adam Myers and put a hashtag the 500 podcast. Give us that 24 hour ad. And if you want to have a ranking in the fleece army, which you are now a part of now that you are an active listener of the 500 man. Oh man. I will give you one with a bam. All right, guys, a little bit about this record. Technically, this album was released on March 18th, 1978 on PVC Records and produced by Jim Dickinson and engineered by John Fry. This is the third album by the Memphis, Tennessee power pop rock band Big Star. And it's got a very, very complicated history. Alex Chilton had already been a successful teenage superstar as the lead singer and guitarist in the Memphis blue-eyed soul group The Box Tops, who released their international number one hit, The Letter. You guys know this one. It goes, Bet down on tickets from an aeroplane. Ski button, do your bob and dip and sing. Mama going song, keep a number on. Baby tried to write me a letter. That came out in 1967, and Alex Chilton was only 16 years old. They had another hit, Cry Like a Baby. That went to number two on the charts the following year, and then they had another string of more successful songs and albums. But the group broke up in 1970, and Alex spent a little time in New York. When he returned to Memphis in 1971, Alex asked his old musician friend, vocalist and guitarist Chris Bell to form a songwriting partnership inspired by Lennon and McCartney and Simon and Garfunkel. Instead, Bell invited Chilton to join Icewater, a trio he had formed with drummer, vocalist Jody Stevens, 
and bassist vocalist Andy Hummel. Everybody is a blank vocalist in this group. They, they are not trying to ignore the fact that they can sing. He agreed, and the band changed their name to Big Star. Heavily influenced by the Beatles, the Stones, the Birds, Big Star went into Arden Studios, who also were their record company and recorded and released their debut album, Number One Record, the following year in 72. It was critically successful, but the inability of their parent company, Black Soul label Stack Records, to market a white boy guitar group stalled its commercial appeal. Because he was frustrated, Chris Bell left the band to pursue a solo career. Alex, Jody, and Andy recorded Big Star's second album, Radio City, which was released in 74. This got even better reviews, but again, another record distributor, Columbia Records, dropped the ball and Andy Hummel quit the band to go back to college. Smart move, Andy. With no record distribution and only remaining members, Alex on vocals and Jody on drums and vocals, and a revolving group of Memphis session players, they went right back into Arden Studios with producer Jim Dickinson and engineer John Fry to record a bunch of songs that were starkly personal and often experimental. Here is where it gets really murky, though. Before recording, Alex gave producer Jim Dickinson a bunch of beautiful acoustic demos of many of the songs that are on this record. But Alex set the tone of the recording on the night of the first session when he turned to look at Dickinson and then shot a syringe full of the opioid Demerol down his throat. I mean, is that a good friend or a good friend? I love you, Alex. My mouth is wide open. Now, Alex had said that this was never intended to be a big star record, and it really ended up sounding like a deeply personal but overly indulgent and experimental solo record. In fact, the recording session log sheets often had the artist's name listed as either Alex Chilton, Alex and Jody, or Sisters Lovers. Because Alex and Jody were in relationships with sisters, Lisa and Holiday Aldridge. You see, Lisa Aldridge was Alex's muse for this record. Chilton originally collaborated and even brought his girlfriend on to sing on a lot of these songs, but due to their stormy relationships, every time they hit a rough patch, he went back into the studio and recorded over her contributions. That is cold-blooded. Demerol to the producer, cutting out his girlfriend. Even though her vocals are only left on one song, her presence is felt throughout the entire record, and you can feel it in the anguish and turmoil of Alex's emotional disintegration. And due to Alex's increasingly delicate state, the sessions were eventually halted, and the record in progress was taken to be mastered. That's the final process before a record's released. That record, as Chilton later recalled, and I quote, was ruined by Jim Dickinson before it ever got out of the studio. He and John Fry took the project out of my hands, and I will dislike Jim Dickinson for the rest of my days for that. At that point, Big Star or even Sister Lovers was no more. Still, the Arden Studio producers test-pressed about 300 white label records of what they either called Sister Lovers or Beale Street Green, and then flew to New York and California to try and get the album a distribution deal. However, not one record company approved of the record's commercial viability, and it was shelved. And after that, everybody moved on to solo careers. Cut to four years later when in 1978 this tiny American independent label, PBC Records, acquired a master tape and without Alex or Jody's consent decided to finally release this as Big Star's fabled unreleased third record. 
The simply named third was another commercial disappointment, but just like the first two records, it found a cult following. Sadly, a few months after Third's first release in 78, founding member Chris Bell was killed in an automobile accident at the age of 27. Now, after several reissues with different songs and orders, this definitive collection was compiled by original producer Jim Dickinson. This was his best attempt to reflect Alex and Jody's original concept. They added the name Sister Lovers to the title to honor the session logs, and that's where we are today. Big Star's three 70s records went on to influence countless musicians. I'm talking Kiss, The Replacements, R.E.M., The Bangles, fucking Chumbawamba. I bet Chumbawamba was influenced by him. And in 1993, Alex and Jody formed Big Star again for a reunion and one new album, In Space. But in March of 2010, Alex Chilton died suddenly of a heart attack just three days before another Big Star reunion show at South by Southwest. That show became a star-studded tribute to Chilton, and big star bassist Andy Hummel even played the show to honor his old band name. But just three months later, Hummel tragically died of cancer. They were both only 59. The only surviving member of the original big star lineup is drummer and vocalist Jody Stevens, who is still active in music today. And my guest today sent me a message and said, If you ever do a big star record, please think of me. My guest is the one and only Chris Garcia. You know him from his half hour on Comedy Central. He's a writer on Mr. Inglacius on Netflix. Maybe you've heard his album, or maybe you haven't, so you should buy it. It's called Laughing and Crying at the Same Time. But also, Chris has a new podcast out on WNYC Studios called Scattered, where Chris sets out to uncover the truth about his dad a man who survived Fidel Castro's labor camps in Cuba only to lose his way in search of the American dream. Chris has been working on this podcast for a long time. I know how much of his heart and soul are into it. If you get a chance, listen to that podcast. It's called Scattered on Spotify. It's incredible. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify or anywhere you get your pods. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media and email the podcast to tell us how great of a job we're doing at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, nothing left to say but have a go with number 449 out of 500 with third sister lovers by Big Star. Chris Garcia, the Chris Garcia, it is Chris Garcia, home at night, Chris <laughs> Garcia. <laughs> You're one of the uh, few people that have joined in with accoutrements while I'm doing that. It's Most people just stare at me awkwardly, so this means it's going to be a good one. So, so Chris, so you... We were talking online, and then you said to me, if a big star record comes up, please ask me. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. So why do you feel so connected to Big Star? Uh, to me, Big Star is like one of the bands I heard that, um, you know, when you're a kid and you hear something, and just like it's, it's the framework for all the music that I like. Like yeah. there's three bands that like that that are um, just sort of like my, uh, my North Star. 
of that era. Who are they? It's the Beach Boys, the Velvet Underground, and Big Star. But wow. the okay. Beach Boys just grew up here in L. I grew up here in L. A. They went to the same high school as my sister, and then like. When you hear pet sounds the first time when you're like a, a little wimpy high schooler or whatever, yeah. you're like, <laughs> and then when you're like, a, <laughs> when you get your heart like broken in college, you're like, I'm a pussy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. And then, uh, and then the Velvet Underground just was like, oh, rock. That was just everything I liked after that from like Sonic Youth to television to like uh yola tango Every, it's that's like oh that's independent that's alt rock to me comes from yeah this, this is because i i didn't know any here with me and big star i had heard of them yeah heard and then you have uh me working with this list and i'm going through the list and i see big star and then you see a couple of them and i never asked anybody i didn't i was just like okay i'm expecting like super com- like super duper country uh, not expecting anything. So I, I had really never listened to them. So for you, this started years ago. This started in my late teens. How did you find out about them? So I had, um, I was lucky enough to have a friend who had a friend who had a big brother that was cool. Always the big brother. It's always <laughs> yeah. the big brother. Cool big brother. Nathan yeah. Wilcox was his name. And he just knew all the shit. So, like, it was, I grew up in the 90s. Like, I, like, I went to high school in the 90s. And, yeah. like, he just knew, he was like, oh, here's a, you guys should listen to this. And be like, whoa, the Velvet Underground. <laughs> like, it just blows your mind as yeah. a kid. And so, uh, I started liking bands. Like, he hipped us to, like, Matador Records and, like, Pavement and Yola Tango and all that early indie stuff. Yeah. And then, um, then we came home. I think we came home. For, um, from college no 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 it was high school and he was just like check out this and it was Big Star number one record and which um, I've listened to recently and it's incredible yeah it's incredible and so the version I got was number one record Radio City they came out together yeah as I think maybe record disc or something they put out like this record and I was like whoa and it just blew my mind but just like lo- loving just really lo- loving music and then realizing that the stuff that I loved came from this. Yeah. Like, and then you learn that R.E.M. covers it. Like, there's no R.E.M. There's no replacements. No uh, bangles. Teenage, no bangles. They covered September Girls. Like. Uh, oh, just, oh, dude, the 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 domino effect that this that this band knocks over to get to. I mean, I I'd, I'd even hear elements of of Radiohead and totally. Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah. It, it's it's all in there. Yeah. It's all in there. So it, without Big Star, I, I don't know if we're getting some of the, the, the direction of music that we're getting now. Yeah. But let's take it down to where we are now. So our album is the third studio album, third slash sister love by Big Star, released March 18th, 1978, produced by Jim Dickinson. So when did you first hear this record? So I was at Berkeley where I went to college and I was like kind of sad I had a girlfriend that was far away you do have like a melancholy about you we go to the same (laughs) boxing gym even the way you hit the bag it's like you care about the bag (laughs) you're like you like hit it and you're like I'm so sorry whoever put this together because I'm I'm beating your your life's work oh my god I am a sensitive guy but that's why I like you because you you just you have depth you have everything you do your stand up everything well that's why I like Big Star like because they're vulnerable like they have they come out their first two albums they come out with like pop 
power pop clap. They're like, bam, and they're catchy. And then as the record keeps on going, you, their feelings come out. Sure. 13's on the album. All these things, and you're like, oh, there's something behind this facade of yeah. like pop and rock and roll. And you're like, oh, there's a real guy in there. And their songs feel like they're for you. But so I was at Berkeley and I had a long distance girlfriend and I would just go to Amoeba Records in um in Berkeley and uh Rasputin and I just spent all my time there. And I just kept on like I was there all the time just buying stuff with whatever little money I had working at the cafeteria at my dorm. And um I was like, Oh, and I saw a CD. I was like, I know Big Star and uh I got it and I listened to it. And at first I was like, oh, it's Big Star. And then as the album went on, I, and I still have this feeling, and it's hard for me to listen to it all the time, because I was like, oh, this is sad. Like, yeah. it's so dark. And I was like, I had never heard anything like that. And so I was also sad from breakup, and I was just like, oh, my God. I feel like it's in the inside of Oh, you were of going. This was, this was, it was almost like the album was so, you were supposed to see it. You were supposed to feel all the feels that, that Alex was giving you. Uh, so you're saying when you first heard this record, it just, it didn't have the same taste as the other two, and you're going through this dark breakup yeah. anyway, so this album it's was just, just the soundtrack to that breakup. Just falling apart. Well, what about now? Listen, re-listening when I ask you to re-listen to it now. It came back. Wow. It was weird. As soon as, like, Holocaust or something, I was like, <laughs> like, I was, like, morphing into, like, reverse Incredible Hulk. Like, I was the Hulk, and I was like, You're going to turn it into Bruce Banner, <laughs> yeah, and you're right. just like, yeah, get me my Bunsen burner, fuck. <laughs> Yeah, it just really, it really felt icky. Yeah. And then I kept on, I listened to it all week. Good. And it was a beautiful week just listening to it and just really thinking about the band. And I went into it and I came out on the other side being like, fucking amazing. So <laughs> like what, like what a wild, wild album. I don't even know if it's fair to call it an album. I'm not going to lie. I, I am in love with everything that I heard that is that that Big Star has done before this. This one was a tough listen for me. It's challenging. It's a very it's a very challenging record. And I, I think that's kind of why it's a good record. Um, I think it could be better. I, I think and I'm not putting it down. Sure. I'm just saying, listen, I am still a passive Big Star fan. But, I mean, if you would have seen me this week, Chris, talking to people like, have you listened to Big Star? Oh, my God, they're so great. And then I dove into this record, and I was like, ah, this is this is really bringing me down. This is a yeah. really hard listen. Like, I wanted to listen to, like, other shit while I was doing this as almost like a palate cleanser. Yeah, you know? I, I get it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. I mean, this album you have uh, deteriorating relationship with, uh, with, you know, his girlfriend. with his girlfriend. He's got these real weird people around him, and he's just getting obliterated every night and just pressing record. <laughs> and he's like recording with his girlfriend, who really liked the Velvet Underground, who got Alex involved with it. Yeah, and then um, just like I heard, I read stories about how like not only they like fuck up the studio, but they uh, tr- a total. John Fry's car, his big black car. <laughs> they like took it out for a spin and like fucked it wow. up. Wow! And so he's like unhinged. Yeah. So they're 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 just this is this is just a mess while they're making this. And it's not even they weren't technically big star or anything. It was, they weren't technically trying to make an album or anything. He was. This is not an album. It's just like a, a snapshot, a glimpse of someone falling apart. I love it though. And he's like, this is not pop friendly. The one hit, the one that's on the the fucking greatest hits is Holocaust, and it's called (laughs) Holocaust. I know it's so dark. (laughs) I can't. I I couldn't listen to it all the way through when I was listening this week. Same way. All right, let's dive into the record. All right, it opens up with "Kiss of Me." Yeah. So the word shambolic is defined as meaning chaotic, disorganized, or mismanaged. And I feel that that is the perfect word to describe this song and most of the record. Um, And if you are like me and are not a fan of Big Star and this is your first introduction to them, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Because it's it's like, how are people on this band's nuts if this is like, I was expecting, I was expecting 13. I was not expecting this. And then, as you said, uh, in case there wasn't any doubt about who inspired this, it was Alex's girlfriend, Lisa Aldridge. Uh, and basically, this song is about her. So, Peter, play uh, a little bit of Kissing Me for me. It's not bad. Yeah. It's not bad at all. It's to be, to be honest with you, it, it's like the more I listen to it, the more I'm like, eh, it's not that bad. You know what I mean? But it's not earlier big star. But it's it's literally Alex professing his love to Lisa uh, and in what is a volatile relationship. And, and we have a lot more about her later in this. But this is still about him, you know, being inspired by her. What muses you and what inspires your work? Wow, that's quite a twist. <laughs> you see, oh, we, I got some Wang, I got some oh, Wang Zookies coming up, Bar- dude. Barbara Walters over here. <laughs> what muses you and what inspires your work? Uh, you know, it's funny. I think sad stuff is funny, which is, I know that's, but there's a certain things with, uh, place when things get so sad that they become ridiculous again. Sure. I think that's kind of in this album. Sometimes it gets like, so it, like it almost like, yeah, I mean, someone falling down the stairs is, uh, is sad and funny, but then I feel like there's something so funny about 
when you get to like absolute misery where it's just completely absurd that's like totally hilarious do you feel like you write your best work when you're in it when you're in that that like that sad space it definitely comes from something like that it comes from a feeling like I'm not one of those guys that's like okay well I'm a joke architect uh, here's a premise how do I feel about jacuzzis sure they're uh, hot okay <laughs> let's start with that I don't like heat like I'm not one of those guys yeah I'm not like a, I'm a feeling guy yeah so just kind of how some musicians are kind of you know there's Frog rockers that are all like, doo, 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 doo. I'm more of like, here's a little ballad I feel about my family. So do you feel, <laughs> do you feel like your jokes are in a sense these little ballads and like the writing and just everything has been the podcast? I mean, these are all coming from places of you know. I like one of the first times I ever saw you was doing the the Radiohead joke. Oh yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. That's a sad joke. The <laughs> yeah, way you're yeah, singing, yeah, yeah. you're singing. You know, we're singing what Creep. Yeah, singing yeah. Creep. That's I mean one of the saddest songs <laughs> ever, yeah, yeah. and you're making fun of it. <laughs> So obviously you're in it. So. Yeah, I think so. Well, I think for me, all the my best stuff comes from like a genuine with any comedy, and some people are genuinely angry and stuff. But I think when I I have a strong feeling about something one way or another, that's where my stuff comes out. Where it's like an authentic thought and just a real feeling and stuff like that. And stuff. Yeah. I'm not a topics. I'm not a headlines guy. No. I'm not any of that stuff. I'm like, oh. You know, it's kind of funny. <laughs> My dad's dying. Uh. So, so immediately when we, when you were watching the when you were watching the Dodgers game and they lost, you immediately just turned around and grabbed your Joe book and were like, <laughs> you're like. You know, you know, my girlfriend's a bitch, and just started writing like shit yeah. like that. It's, it's just you've... It's time to clock in. <laughs> <laughs> that takes us into thank you, friends. Peter, uh, play the chorus for me. So this is, I, in my opinion, way better than the opener. Uh, it's it's closer to the sound of Big Star Big that Star. we heard in those first two records. I love the chorus. I love the female soulful backup singers. Yeah. Uh, for a record that's really mired in emotional turmoil, this is a lovely ode to the friendships that helped Alex Chilton get to where he is. Now, it could be uh, him really professing his love. It could be a completely sarcastic response to the shit he found about himself uh, in the recording of this album. I mean, it's it's we don't know if it's a fuck you. Is it a is it a like, you know, is it is he being serious or is he just saying fuck you to everybody? Basically, I think that's what makes a good song where you, or a good movie where you can't really tell what the you're like. It could be this way or it could be that way. Like, it's a little tricky. Yeah. And so I it's like I love L.A. that Randy Newman song. Everyone's like, it's a pro LA song. It's like, yeah, I don't know. He's kind of shitting on it. It's it's like it could be read the other way, where he's actually making fun of LA and thinks it's bullshit. Like it could be sure, it could yeah. be read either way. Then we get to Big Black Car. Peter, play the opening of it. It's a it's a funeral march. It is such. That's a That's what this is. This, this song is a funeral march. I think you were talking about uh, influences yeah. uh, and how Lisa was introducing him to like Velvet Underground and things like that. Yeah. This is uh, basically a big star dreamed out druggy drag Lou Reed. You know Velvet Underground. Totally. Hundred percent. You can you can feel what they're wearing on their sleeve. Uh, sounds to me like it could be about uh, depression or death. Uh, or depression and death from heroin. Yeah, like depression is the big black car that's driving him around. Yeah, it's or it, you know, 
from junk spot to junk spot. That takes us into the next song, Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter, play a little bit of it for me. Jesus Christ was born today. Jesus Christ was born. This is a Christmas song for hipsters. <laughs> might, this is something that you'd hear right around early December at an Urban Outfitters on Quango. This that is not is so funny. That is, uh, there, is, there is no other group of people that listen to Religious people probably hate this song. It is strictly for guys with twirly mustaches <laughs> that, that drink at the cha-cha lounge. Um, oh, that is so true. It, right? It Thank really you. sounds Good like song. It. Great song. Good song. Silver Lake's favorite Christmas song. <laughs> Lisa Aldridge's father, Bill, was a Presbyterian minister, and Alex pulled lines for this out of his Presbyterian hymnal uh, slash songbook. And in 2018, the Monkees covered this on their first full-length Christmas release, Christmas Party. Do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I think it's... I think this is, I don't know, I, I think Jim Dickinson, may, the producer, may have put this order together, and I think that is hilarious, because usually the fourth track on an album usually is the banger. Yeah, it's the it's grand the slam, single. dude. It's the cleanup. And so he's like, all right, here we go. Song number four, a Christmas song. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think it's indicative of how loony of an album this well, is. Well, also, and then, like we, like I say in the intro, um, is... Alex hates Jim because of this. He hates, he, he's like, I'll never, uh, like, if I ever see him, I'm going to beat the shit out of him. Yeah. I mean, now, I don't know if they're both, I know Alex is dead. Jim yeah. might still be alive. Yeah. But it's like, he's not happy with any of this. So probably the order that, that Alex would have won in it, it's not with Jesus Christ is the Lord <laughs> yeah. at the, in the Grand Slam moment. But that takes us then to Femme Fatale. Now, we talked about the influence of Velvet Underground and his girlfriend, Lisa, on Alex Chilton. Because uh, it's inescapable with this song, which is a faithful cover of uh, a song about a fem- female heartbreaker from the Velvet Underground and Nico, uh, and it really hits everything on the nose. Play the chorus. Everybody knows things she does to please. So now. Alex had the key to Arden Studios and would take his then 19 girlfriend Lisa in alone at any time he felt inspired and they would party there while recording at night. Lisa was originally all over this record and you can hear her on this song but anytime they got into a fight Alex would wipe out all of her vocal performances every single time. So he'd get into a fight he would just record over her. Uh, it's interesting that while Alex sings this Lou Reed song that was originally sung by Nico, that Lisa, in a reverse of gender, sings in French the Lou Reed lines. Oh. What's the most spiteful thing you've done or had done to you during a breakup? <laughs> I love these twists. <laughs> it's the Inception, bro. It's the M. Night Shyamalan oh, uh, podcast. Man, every time on the spot, let me think of this. It could be either you or had done to you. Um, so it's either what you've done or what somebody's done to you. So I don't know if this exactly falls under this category, but I remember in college I I had this long-distance relationship and uh, we broke up. And then I started dating this other girl from the dorms, and we dated for a while. Nice. And then <laughs> you're like, that's yeah, the most right. creepy, like, I'm listening. <laughs> well, it's right. just my voice. I can't do it. It was, it was really <laughs> yeah. just like, nice. You can't it say nice like, normally. Yeah, you're like, nice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so we broke up, and uh, I got back together with the girl that I was dating with before, long distance. And I go to this party. 
with uh, my new girl, my old girlfriend who I'm dating again and my ex-girlfriend's friend sees us at this party and he walks over to us and he just like bit, he just like flips me off. He's like this tall dude, maybe like six, three or something. Yeah. He just like puts his finger right in. He like gives me the finger right in my face and I open palm slap this guy. Fuck the ground. yeah, you did. <laughs> and I, and I, I just like straight like he was up there. So I just like, whoosh, I had to like, Bring it all the way up there, and out of the blue, this fool in his little cardigan, v like V neck vest, looking looking like a royal Tannenbaum, just yeah. went, fell to one knee, and I was like, "Oh shit, where the fuck that come from?" <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, Get, "I was like, fuck you," and then just walked away, and I was like, "Oh shit." How good did you feel in that moment? God, though? I could still feel it. Oh my! God. Oh, I bet. Oh, I bet the energy that's coursing through your heart rate is probably racing. Yeah, but you know, I'm not a violent guy or anything. I go to boxing. You see me at the boxing yeah. gym all the time but like i'm not trying to pick fights with people that's a workout but it felt right it felt work like out it was, with with some self-defense in there but, but that's when you is, feel provoked and you do something like that ooh, i felt good speaking of fights uh they they actually did damage to arden studios uh alex put his hand through a glass at the studio door and lasa shattered a bottle of gym aimed at alex's head all over the mixing board while they were making this song in an example of how, of just how tolerant and comfortable everyone became with the insanity, after engineer and Ardent Studios co-owner John Fry had the console clean, he quietly told producer Jim Dickinson, we simply can't have blood on the mixing desk. Have a word with Alex about it. Uh, so them doing these types of hijinks and fucking around like this and getting blood on the board and breaking bottles, I think this is where John Fry, I mean, he got pushed to the limit to the point he's like, hey, we can't sustain this you need to stop coming in at night and you just put, put the fucking record together. Jim. Yeah. And I think that's what started the war between everybody and why the record came out in such a shitty fashion. Yeah. And, he's and like, now the reason there's 95 different versions yeah, of this. Yeah. And we've, we've, we've taped enough just, and they're done overdubbing. They always gets crazy. Can we just put something on wax, please? Can I mean, you wouldn't you get frustrated if you had a recording studio and some, you know, a guy that's like a, you know, a heroined out genius with, with a <laughs> shitty girlfriend. Yeah, 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 totally. Could you imagine how annoying that fight was between fucking Alex uh. and Lisa? I don't know what her voice is, but I just her name's Lisa. I'm assuming it's like, no, fuck you, Alex. What the fuck is your problem? I don't know why I made her that way, like Maria Conchita Alonso from fucking Predator, but but I did. Just a typical white guy just doing white people shit like an idiot. That takes us to Odena. Uh, a cute, catchy little song. Play a little bit of it for me, Peter. A lot of people have tried to figure out what the hell the lyrics in this are uh, mean. Um, from what I know, uh, they're just random lines that Alex heard either his friend or lover Dana say that he wrote down and compiled into these lyrics. Um, thoughts? Yeah, probably. I mean, the guy, I think it's crazy. It's like we're dealing with a guy that's all fucked up. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, I'll scribble it down on a piece of paper and put out another pop ditty. Hit. <laughs> you know, like it, it's like a easy. It's one of the it's easy digest digestible songs. Very on the easily album. digestible. Now we have come to one of the saddest songs probably ever written, and like I said earlier, oddly enough, one of the few songs from this record that is on their greatest hits. <laughs> uh, play twenty nine seconds. <laughs> Your eyes are almost dead. Can get out of bed. 
This is emo before emo. Oh, yeah. This is ahead of its time. Very ahead of its time. Apparently, it was about Lays' mother, who was an alcoholic, and she was addicted to drugs. She also didn't get along with Alex. Even though the piano and melody were lifted from Yoko Ono's 1971 single, Miss Lennon. I didn't know that. Holocaust is one of the songs on here that has come to represent the entire vibe and mythology of this record. And in in a sense, what I think is probably Alex Chilton's state of mind while yeah. making this. It's so crazy. I mean, it's <clears throat> kind of interesting. I didn't know this about you know, lifting that from Yoko, but that was the other heroin couple of that day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? They, 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 they were, they, Lisa was like, we need to step it up a little bit. We're going to get up there with Yoko and John. <laughs> My favorite part that I feel really captures the sadness of the song is uh, what I would like to call the midsection where they feature the cello of sadness. (laughs) Can you play a little bit? So this song is about a parent fading away. Uh, and I wanted to ask you about your time dealing with your father's battle with yeah. Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. How did you handle caring for your dad during those difficult times? And then also, how did you care for yourself so you can care for others? Um, so I think one thing that really helped, I mean, it was really sad. It was one of the hardest things because Alzheimer's, like my dad had it for 10 years. Yeah. So you see someone slowly disappear before your eyes and it's very difficult on uh, I mean, obviously the person so that has levels, it, but yeah. then your family and all this stuff. But the thing that was the most helpful is that my mom is hilarious. Like my family is just funny. So when things would get as dark as it would get, like th- my mom was just like, we're both funny and my sister's funny too. Not not like my mom though, but like there'd be moments like my dad was in this, he was in a home and my parents were married for 50 something years, 53 years or something. Yeah. And, um, there was another lady that was short like my mom at this nursing home that also had Alzheimer's. And for a while, my dad started thinking that she was my mom. Your mom, yeah. So he would walk around holding this woman's hand and, and my mom would, my actual mom would come visit and he'd be like, leave us alone. I just want to spend time with my wife. And my mom would go every day to see my dad. And for he went through this phase, he was like, leave me and Anna alone. And my mom was like, I'm Anna. And so I called my mom one day to see how she's doing. She was like, that, and that lady's name was Anna too. She's like, remember that uh, Japanese lady, Anna? I'm like, yeah. She's like, she died. And I'm like, oh, mom, I'm so sorry. She's like, that's what that bitch gets. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's just like that gallows humor that was just like, even to the, uh, my mom, I'll be like, mom, what what are we going to do with, uh, uh," I was like, what are we going to do with your body? Like, would we incinerated my dad? Or we, yeah. You know, I mean, whatever. Cremated. Uh, cremated. Incinerated. That sounds a lot better. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we fucking, <laughs> uh, we incinerated the guy, you know? Viking funeral. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Ani DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. 
So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Jesus, it's like Burning Man. We took him to Burning Man, we let him on fire, and then we danced to Tiesto. Uh, no, yeah, we cremated I was like, Mom, what are we going to do with you? She's like, I don't know. She's like, um, I want to donate my body to science. Everything but my little cosita. Everything but my <laughs> everything but my cooch. Put that aside in a little shot class with alcohol on it. Save that for Dad. <laughs> like, it's just like kind of gross, but you're like, yeah, wow. That's hilarious. And so... I don't know. I think when something bad like that happens, you either sink or swim, you know? And luckily for us, like, we were a strong family, and um, we were able to kind of, you know, it, it was obviously really sad, but to have these funny moments are just like, I mean, that's what completely kept us going. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible, man. Um, all right. That takes us into Kangaroo. Uh, play a little bit of Kangaroo for me, brother. <laughs> This reminds me of Radiohead. Oh, totally. I, I, I hear I hear Radiohead. I think this song is is kind of ahead of its time. I feel like if, if a band released this song today, yeah. it, it, I mean, it could be released now, could be released in the 90s, could be released in the 70s. It just has that feel to it. The only thing about this song that I was waiting for that I didn't get was I wanted like a big beat drop. Oh, Not yeah. Not like DJ Khaled style, just like a, you know, some noise, noise, and then bang, yeah. So according to Jim Dickinson, the confrontational Alex Chilton brought in this recording of him singing and playing an out-of-tune 12-string guitar on one track, which made it difficult to mix. He gave it to Dickinson with a smirk to test him by saying, you want to produce? produce this hmm wow so he was like all right here you go giving him something to do he was like to see if really he could actually get something out of just this noise yeah and i mean i think he did dickinson built this freaky atmospheric track around it to save it and that cemented the creative bond between him and chilton and that was probably before uh, it got a little fucked up lyrically it's a it's like some fractured sentimental remembrance of being a young love story uh let's talk about young love and and one of the biggest uh parts of young love uh losing our virginity uh tell me about how you lost your v card double <laughs> um well it's a it's a quite a tale so i was a uh you know i was a kid in high school 
and I was in love with this girl who was like I thought was way out of my league, you know. And uh, she was a cheerleader and stuff, and she was rich, and she literally lived on the other side of the tracks. Like in, I lived in North Redondo Beach, and she, which was all apartments and you know, you know, bachelors and immigrant families and stuff like that, and yeah. apartments. And then there's Aviation Boulevard, and right across that, it's like the Manhattan Beach McMansions are there. And I lived on the first block of North Redondo, and she lived on the first block of Manhattan Beach, and um, and I was like, man, I t- there's something about this girl, and so for months just trying to get like trying to get her attention and then a a school dance came around and uh i took i didn't go with the girl i took a cardboard uh you know those like cardboard posters life Mm -hmm. life life-size posters of uh jean-luc picard from uh, star trek next generation (laughs) and i put a bow on his head and i I was like that kid in high school you know and i took it to the dance and i took pictures with him and stuff and uh, it's genius (laughs) it's creepy yet genius it's hysterical and uh I was talking to her and she's like, oh, that's funny. Uh, you could have taken me to the dance. And I was like, oh, uh, what? Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and I was like, oh, that's crazy. And then um, eventually just flat out asked her, asked her out. I was just like, I said, would you be my girlfriend? <laughs> like totally like Aww. dorky. <laughs> and she's like, sure. And uh, we started dating and stuff. And uh, after a couple months, she was like, hey, um, I think we should like, we should. You take she, this to the next level, lose our virginities. And I was like, went for it. And she was like, not in my fucking basement while Frazier's on. And my parents are upstairs. <laughs> like, I meant eventually, like, we should do oh, this. You hear the music <laughs> yeah, calling, yeah. call salad and scrambled eggs. <laughs> oh, <that> quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's, and then uh, I was like, she was like, it needs to be special. And then I remember that she had told me that the most comfortable bed she ever slept in was the Regent Beverly Wilshire Hotel, yeah. which is the hotel from Pretty Woman. And uh, I was like, I remember that. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to take you to the Regent Beverly Wilshire Hotel. And uh, I called the Regent Beverly Wilshire. I was like, I have one room for Garcia, please. And they'll be like, that'll be $450 or whatever. And I was like, oh, I'll call you right back. <laughs> and I was like, I don't have four. I'm like, you know, my parents are working class and I don't have any money. And so I went out and I got a job. And I started working at this dry cleaner. To pay for the hotel pay- so you could fuck. Yeah, I didn't even have Jesus, a bank account. Good for I know, you. a bank account, dude. That's the power. <laughs> Behind that, uh, you just bringing in rolled quarters. Like there <laughs> yeah. you go, four hundred and fifty. And it was funny because it was the dry cleaner where her dad, who was like the vice president of a car company, uh, took his dry cleaning. And he thought it was really cool that I that this young man was working at this dry cleaner like three four times a week. And I was like, <laughs> thought it was really cool. I was gonna fuck this rich guy's daughter. You know, I was like, yeah, okay, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I uh, finally saved up all this money, uh, and I went to her house. And uh, it was this is the weekend. It was like we were gonna go do this, you know. And I told her that we're going camping. So she she's ready to go camping. I'm in this like. To, like a 1980 Toyota Corolla yeah. with like a different colored door, like a straight up hoopty, right? Like a hoop. Straight up hoopty. And uh, I uh, I knew she was going to dress up like we were going to go camping. So I had taken her prom dress and I took it to the dry cleaner to get cleaned and boxed <laughs> up. And I, I brought that with us. I was like, she's probably going to want to dress nice, you know? So she's probably going to want to dress this fucking, this like Disney's Frozen dress or yeah. something you know like everyone <laughs> wants to like a disney princess it's like peach colored prom dress okay that sounds good i didn't know what i was doing so i put that in the car and then i um 
we start driving to Beverly Hills, but I wanted to be a surprise. So I, she had like a Rosie the Riveter bandana on her head and I like, I p- slipped it over her eyes and I made her, I blindfolded her for, she was like, where are we going? I was like, don't worry about it. It's a surprise. We finally pull up to Beverly Hills in the Regent Beverly Wilshire and it's like palatial. It has this like this circular driveway and there's like guards and there's like a valet and I'd never seen any of the shit before. I don't know what a valet is. Yeah. And I'm seeing like these nice ass cars, you know, Rolls Royce, Lexus, whatever. Just <laughs> you drive like, up in your fucking <laughs> yeah, piece of shit. Yeah, so ain't up piece of <sighs> shit. And so like I just pull up and the people are like waving me to go to the valet and I just didn't know I just froze and I didn't know what to do and so I like got out of the car and I just like started like waving <laughs> and waving at the valet and the guy's security comes and rushes over and they're like slam the car and they're like what well, what are you doing like this is private property like just like shaking yeah. me down and then uh I have they, a room they, I have a... <laughs> they see my girlfriend with a fucking blindfold on like we have a hostage situation and they're like oh my god and then in Spanish I'm like Ay, no te preocupes esta, esta uh, mujer es mi novio y vamos a hacer a walk chaca chaca so por favor dejanos virginity and they're like oh yeah yeah, go right ahead, player. You know, <laughs> give me a fist. Bump. Oh well, in that case, <laughs> should we? Should we? Let's use a coat hanger for that orange <laughs> quinceanera dress. And uh, so we check in. I even brought strawberries and uh, champagne. I had a friend in community college go and like buy champagne because I was underage. Fuck yeah! And uh, we go upstairs and we have the strawberries and the champagne and we go at it and. Uh, I remember I had a disc man, and we listened to the song. Gotta have tunes. <laughs> yeah. You put it on. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Dolls salad and scrambled egg. I thought you'd like it. Uh, <laughs> she, we invert the headphones, and so we're each listening to one of the headphones yeah. like that, and we listen to the song by Pavement called Rattled by the Rush. And uh, Okay. Which is a little, it seems a little on the nose. It's like you're rattled by the rush of everything or whatever. And then, um, then we like, it's like it's go time, and then I just. I put the condom on and I just came immediately. Oh. <laughs> like I just could not. I was like so excited. I was like, okay, here we go. I love you. Good. <laughs> oh, scoop. <laughs> like I just, it was done. Did I you guys, it. but did you guys try again? Yeah, yeah. It was, it and was, ended first, up being yeah, really lovely. Of course. But the first time is like, you put so much pressure on it. I mean, and so much effort. Months in the making. Months. Months in the making. It's like, of course you're going to fucking, which you should have done, which nobody tells you at that age, is toss one off before you pick her up so you're, so you're not going in with a loaded gun. You got to reload the clip. Oh, I went in there full clip. That's yeah, dude. You, <laughs> good for you. All right. Then we come to Stroke It Noel. This was originally called Lovely Day, but Chilton changed it after an off-the-cuff remark in the studio to one of the session's violin players, Noel, uh, of the Memphis Symphony Orchestra. Uh, I, I do really love the flow of the string arrangements kind of over the acoustic instruments. It's a very, very beautiful song. Uh, starts off likely about Lisa again, uh, who originally sang all over the record. Um, and the song seems to reflect some kind of nuclear paranoia. Uh, also remember that the Vietnam War was still raging when this was recorded. Uh, Peter, play minute 18 in. Keeping an eye on the sky Will they come above us? What are you paranoid about? What is your biggest paranoia? 
well, I just watched this documentary. Hit me. What is oh, it? What, what God, is it? I need a new one. The Facebook shit. Like I was just I. Oh, I've well, seen the ads on Netflix for that. Oh man, the Great Hack. Well, have you seen this about how all our info, all our data is basically everyone? It's like it's. It's, it's there. Everyone, they can find everyone, it. It's everything. everything. Stuff you've deleted, like it is all there, and it's is for sale, and everyone has it, and it's like such a nightmare to me. Like I'm not paranoid. Terror stuff. Like I don't know. I I don't get paranoid about a lot of stuff, but like I am getting paranoid about technology and stuff and our information, and then that how that's a I don't know maybe our, our credit card or like our, our money gonna be stolen like all that stuff makes me really uneasy I, I agree Dude, we're literally serving up the government and the world <laughs> every day all that stuff I'm like where is this headed we're telling them where we're gonna be we're tagging ourselves in places we're showing them who our friends are we're showing them where we work you know, Honestly, I'd rather go back to no internet. But also, without the internet, I wouldn't have uh, all these fun <laughs> facts. Like, it should be noted that Jody Stevens convinced Chilton to to bring the strings for the record, which were arranged by Karl Marsh. And that segues perfectly into my favorite so song on the record for you. Uh, Peter, play Minute 46. Thoughts of how it's going to be and how I'll So this is Jody Stevens' first recorded songwriting effort, and in my opinion, it's a perfect song. <laughs> it's a perfect song. It's perfect. I probably listened to this song 50 times. Yeah. Um, I love everything about this song except for the lyrics. Uh, so, so what we just listened to, when I come home so cold at night, you'll have the fireplace burning Ding bright. Dunk. That sounds like something that like a 14 year old would write. That is like first band type lyrics. Cause I used to make fun of my guitarist, Joel, because we, he, he'd play his, like the first song he ever wrote. And the, the lyrics were like lying awake in bed, <laughs> all these thoughts going through my head. <laughs> Give me a loaf of bread. Cause without you, I'm dead. Oh. I love Flanders Ned. <laughs> it's just, you know, serial kill a Bundy Ted. Uh, it's terrible. It, to me, in my opinion, the lyrics are very, very weak on this. But man, is did this song just like that little like ooh, that 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 little run with the strings. I mean, this is why I think, in my opinion, why this album is on the list because this song is so perfect. That's so funny that the one non-Alex Chilton song I know but, you love, but it's an incredible song. Incredible, and it is very straightforward in that naive kid way that makes you cringe. Like I'm sure Jody listened to it now. I mean, he'd probably be proud of it, but he listened to the lyrics and be like, "Ugh." I mean, it's it's Ugh. cheeseball McGee. It's really the lyrics are the weakest thing about it. All right, that takes us to You Can't Have Me. Uh, finally, we have some upbeat shit on this record. Uh, this is a brutal takedown of who I assume is only Lisa. Play Minute 20. So this is basically him just calling her out for everything. At one point, he calls her a klepto. Uh, and he even sings at the end, the drummer said you were not very clean, and I know what he means. I mean, that's that's him just fucking digging in on her. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, but it's straightforward, pretty good song. 
Great I song. Like it. It's a good rock song. Kind of mean. Totally mean. He was like, your breath stink. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> Does he say your breath stink? No, I added that for comedic <laughs> effect. He's like, you got straw hair, stinky <laughs> underwear. You it's look called conditioner. Never heard of it. All right. Nighttime. Uh, play a little bit of that for me, Peter. When I set my eyes on you, you look like a kitty. You have to believe that Tom York was a fan of this band. Totally. You have to believe that everybody in that band loved this group. Because it's this is like somebody said to me, Big Star is your favorite musician's favorite musicians. Yeah. People always say that and that everyone that heard them started their own band. Oh, like no. it's that band. Let's take this to about escaping. Um, so you come from a family that escaped from a small town in Cuba, mm-hmm. right? How old were you when you left, and how did that affect your growth? Well, I was born here, but my parents were my parents and sister were born there, and they fled. I think my parents were in their thirties, and my sister was like seven, nine years old, and so uh, yeah, they fled Cuba, and it's a it's a crazy story. My dad, you know, was was imprisoned for asking to leave the country and he was put in a sugarcane camp and forced to cut sugarcane for like two years and then he was separated from my mom and sister and then he fled to Spain and left my mom and sister behind and then they went to Spain and then they came to the it's like this crazy yeah story um and I I didn't experience that. I was lucky to be born here and have like not that type of trauma in my life sure but I think it affected me in um like sticking with your people, like loving the ones that you love and just being there for them. Because like my parents love stories like they and my sister, they spent years apart. And like my dad was in a pretty much like a Cuban style concentration camp. And then he fled to Spain and then he went to the United States and that was challenging. And then he got Alzheimer's like 20 years later, you know, it's crazy. And so I think it, I think from that I learned like loyalty and just like, just if you love something, just love it, <laughs> love yeah. it all the way, you no, know? Completely. And so <clears throat> I think, uh, that's what I've gotten from. I think they're, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky to have such brave, courageous, uh, you know, well, sister me, and, and parents, but. Well, what about like with what's going on with immigrants now and like being people being affected by the closing of the borders? How has that affected your psyche? Um, I just think it's sad. I th- like I, you know, we're doing the podcast that I'm doing with WNYC Studios right now. Yeah. It comes out later, but anyway, um, I um I've learned a lot about Cuba, and one of the things that's really interesting is that when people were fleeing Cuba by raft at night in the like the '60s and stuff. Lyndon Johnson passed a bill. He's like, we're we're a country that welcomes refugees. And this is Lyndon Johnson way back in the day. He's like, America America's here for anyone that, who wants it. And uh, it, was, it was such a beautiful sentiment, the yeah. speech that he gave at the steps of the Statue of Liberty. And it's like, what happened to that sentiment? And I know, yeah. I know, you know, there, it's a complicated thing, but it, it feels really crappy to separate family. Like, I the, mean, it's, br- it's that brutally. Shoot, yeah, it's I mean, we're only we're getting, you know, what what we can they can really see. And I mean, there's probably even ho- much worse stuff going down that we're missing, you yeah. know, and it's it's. To have an administration just be so cold. Yeah. I mean, I understand that they're getting in, they're coming in here in a way that's not legal, but still, it's like that's how this whole country started. Yeah. 
So at least have some sort of a heart, and it just feels it just feels really empty of everything they're saying. So. Yeah, and it's and I feel like the guy scapegoating brown people. Oh, yeah, oh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, like something that the people that would vote for him really love. So he's like, oh, build the wall, like, and it's like he's, he didn't do anything. <laughs> like, it's the not, wall's not going to do anything. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's. But you know, if they don't see it, like you know that that wall to them represents just you know. Like you said, all that hate, and yeah. it's just, and, and to them, it's not hate. It's just saying, no, but we're right, and it's like, well, no, you're not right because you probably wouldn't be here if, if fucking, you know, f- whoever it was Franklin Delano Roosevelt would have like been like, no, we can't have immigrants, and yeah. it would just, we, you probably have like a hundred million people in this country, not even. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. I like having 350 million. I say make it 500 million. Doesn't make a difference. Doesn't affect my job. I'm doing fine. Um, All right, then that takes us to Blue Moon. Uh, Play 18 seconds in, brother. Let me be a A beautifully sentimental short song that fortunately doesn't get swallowed up by any extra sounds or strange production tricks. It's just, uh, it's just a great, great, you know, Alex Chilton being big star. Yeah, it's just him being super vulnerable. I think this is why people fall in love with him in yeah. the first place. Is songs like Thirteen or this, where he just like lets it all out into the open, and you're like, oh, I have these feelings too, and this. I think he was probably for Lisa, right? It's it is love so. Song for so her. they loved they loved Nico from the Velvet Underground, um, especially the song "I'll Be Your Mirror." It's beautiful. So this is inspired by that. Alex wrote and recorded this beautiful little love song one night while Lisa was sleeping. She woke up to a note on the recorder that said, "It's all queued up for you, baby." That's, that's nice. That's really nice. That was one of uh, me and my wife's weddings. I'll be your mirror. Really? Like yeah. It's, such a, it's such a pretty song. All right. Final song on the record, one of my favorites, uh, Take Care. Uh, this pretty Baroque pop waltz is a fitting farewell to the record because it still leaves some mystery. Uh, play a little bit of it, Peter. Take care not to hurt yourself. Beware of the need for help. What I like about this song is is that no one really knows. Much like uh, "Thank You, Friends," uh, is it a song giving good advice? Is it a "fuck you" to someone, or is it a suicide note? Like we don't know. It could be any of the three. What I do know is that it's a perfect way to end the album. It really, is. I mean, it leaves you on a very from what we've just been through on this journey. This gives a little hope. Yeah, you know, 
or, or 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 infinite sadness. And I think it's just whatever, whichever way you want to perceive it. I think so. I think you're exactly right on that. And yeah. it's 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 really the winding down. It really feels like the ending of it. Yeah. And it's it's got the sentiments of this album has so many different feelings on it. And even though this song has a cohesive sound, it does feel like it brings all the emotions into it. And it's just like okay, we're landing this plane, and I still can't tell whether this is a nice song or not. I, <laughs> like, but, but but you know what? We that's what's so great about it is that it it could be whatever mood that you're in. Yeah. If you're depressed, this is your I'm depressed. You know, take care. You know, if if like I just said, it could be whatever way you want to perceive it. But being in that it's the end and we're talking about, you know, the end. What would you like your last words to be? Uh, be like, oh, shit. Like, I think that'd be pretty fun. <laughs> like, if, like if it was adventurous, like if I was like jumping off uh, like a, a rock into a lake and I was like, yeah, oh, shit. <laughs> And then dying. I think that would be A lot of spelunking. Is that why (laughs) you're saying that? I I like the outdoors. I go out and stuff, but I think that would be a fun way to, I mean, uh, I don't know what my last words would be to, like, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, shit. My wife versus my friends, but going like, oh, shit. Like, I I think that would be pretty fun. I always want to, I always say, I was like, I just want to be like, like, you know, on my deathbed uh, while people are around me and I just like lean up and go, Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses is the best record ever made. (laughs) (laughs) You want to do some facts and get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. Have facts, there's facts, and some facts. The band stole their name from Big Star Markets, a chain of grocery stores in the Memphis area. I think that's fucking dumb. (laughs) That's so dumb. Why don't we call the band Albertsons? (laughs) It's like <laughs> John's. Yeah, it's like let's call it uh let's call it uh Whole Foods Destiny. <laughs> Stop and shop. It's, some, it's ridiculous, but I get it. Uh in 1986, The Replacements, one of the bands that were highly influenced by Big Star, went into Arden Studios to record their 1987 album Please to Meet Me. They not only got Big Star producer Jim Dixon, but also got Alex Chilton to play guitar on their first single Can't Hardly Wait and honored him on their second single, which they simply called Alex Chilton. That's really cool. Actually, it's funny, because when I typed in Alex Chilton on Spotify, that was the first thing that popped up. It's a great song. It's a great song. Which of your heroes have you got to meet or work with? Huh. Let's see. Oh, duh. This is so dumb. Uh, Robin Williams. Wow. Yeah. It was, and actually... It was one of like in one of those moments that you're like, this is incredible. I can't believe this is happening. Set it up for me. What happened? So it was my going away show in San Francisco at the San Francisco Punchline. It's the first time I'm ever headlining my home club, which is an amazing club, one of the best clubs in the country, and where I started and everything, and where I, you know, when I started comedy in 2005 is where I'd go every Sunday to the local showcase, and I'd go see all these headliners. Anyway, I was doing this big show. Uh, Because I was moving back home to, you know, take care of my dad and to to do more comedy and stuff like that. And so I put on, I made the big deal out of this. I was like, it's my going away show. And I did that so I couldn't move back. And um, I saw that, I think Bobcat Goldthwait was in town and we're buddies. And I'd opened for him before and we like remained friends. And I was like, hey, Bob, I texted him. I was like, "Um, I'm doing this big going away show. If you want to come through and do a set, that would be awesome. And he was like, yeah, totally. And so uh, I show up to the club. I'm there like an hour early and um, just hanging out and in the green room. And uh, Bob's like, I'm out back. 
And uh, so I go out back, and it's him and Robin Williams. Oh, wow. And I'm like, hey, Bob, how's it going? He's like, this is my friend Robin. And I'm like, oh, hey, how's it going, uh, Mr. Williams? He's like, oh, you know, like Robin Williams. He's like, oh, I'm doing good, whatever. And uh, I was like, you know, you want to. Does he sound like a beetle? <laughs> yeah. well, I'm doing quite good. <laughs> good, good. Uh, and then he's like, uh, I was like, you know, if you want to. If you want to do five, ten minutes, I'd be happy to break off the time. Totally joking. And he's like, yeah, I, I love it. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, cool. Yeah, sure. Uh, awesome. Well, I'll put you on the list. and Let me know where you want to go. And so I'm like, and then he goes into the green room and we hide him. Because we like, we don't want people to, like, we want to blow people's minds, right? Yeah. And so I'm in the green room. People aren't really there yet, except for my therapist shows up. And this is the first time this guy everybody, invited Bob. even Jesus, my therapist, dude. dude. <laughs> the girl, the girl from the Beverly uh, Hotel, <laughs> fucking shows up the in her orange dress. Guard, the security guard, everybody, <laughs> everybody. And so I'm like, I see my therapist, and he's like a theater nerd, and uh, he's there, and he's the first one, and he's asked to sit front row center, and uh, and I come back in the green room, I'm like, oh shit, and he, and Bob's like, what, what's going on? And Bob and Robin are there, and I'm like, uh, I just um. My therapist is the only one out there, and he's in the front row. And Ron Williams goes, oh, fuck. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, right? And he's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know, man. And I was just kind of nervous, and he's like, that sounds terrifying. And the cool thing I remember about seeing Ron Williams in the green room is that not only was he really nice, uh, but he was nervous. Like, he was putter. Like, he, you know, you see he had his hands clasped together. Kind You kind of see him sometimes. There's... I don't know why he claps his hand in the front and he kind of rocks back and forth, but he's kind of like rocking back and forth. And uh, he's like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to close. And Bob's like, oh, just close with the dick joke, dummy. That's what we, that's what we all do. Just close with the dick joke. Yeah. He's like, oh, okay. And uh, so anyway, we're backstage. People file in. Show starts. Um, show's going great. Ladies and, and gentlemen, welcome Robin Williams. And people are like, in his, he like, he's like, like, who? Biggest star you'll ever see. Like, oh, yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Robin. Okay. People lose their shit. Standing ovation. He's also a hero in San Francisco. Of course. You yeah. know, and so, and so people are losing their shit and he goes up. He does. He's really funny. He yeah. ends on a dick joke and just kind of like nods to us and he's leaving the stage. And uh, I'm like, I can't follow that. And my friend Kevin Kamia, who lives in L.A. now, who's a great Love comic. Kevin, he's yeah. in the back. And I was like, Kev, you got to do a big favor, buddy. And I push him towards the stage. <laughs> and then like uh, uh, you tell my friend Joey that's hosting. I was like, Kevin's going to do a quick guest set. And so Kevin goes up there and, and just eats eat shit. Five oh, minutes, fuck dude. yeah, dude. <laughs> Fuck yeah! I mean, you're evil. I, that was a good, but it's you're going. Hey, you're never coming back. It's my show. One hundred percent. No, I. Good for Kevin, dude. What did Kevin say after he got off? He like was, you he owe didn't me say one. He just, just ate a, a fat pie. dick. <laughs> just a fat, fat slow, is... big black twelve uh, inch. Just from oh, good just for. Just ate it, and then um, I did my set, and um, I was doing my regular stuff, and then halfway through, I just kind of broke with it, and I was like, I'm moving home, and. Here's the deal. My my dad's sick, and I just went through a lot of the stuff I've thought about, but hadn't really done on stage. You know, maybe some things a couple times here and there, and being like, ah, this is gonna bump people out. Yeah. But anyway, I just let it all loose, and I like I cry, but then I la I make fun of myself for crying. Sure. I'm laughing through the tears, like it is. I'm crying, but it's somehow funny. Like I'm just like falling apart, and I'm like, whoa, whoa. And And uh, it it was in, it was amazing, and it felt so good. And I, you know, made fun of my therapist. I 
said I was going to, I was moving down to move in with Robin and Bob at the end. I don't know. It just like all worked out kind of one of those sets yeah. that work out magically and yeah. you feel like you're out of your body. And then I remember leaving the stage, walking towards the green room and Rob Williams is like, just like gives me a hug and he's like, that was hilarious and beautiful and straight from the heart. Oh. And I was like, Oh, and then like gave me a hug and then oh. hugged Bob and the rest of them. But that's one of those moments where you're like, I mean, yeah, it's, I it's and, and even more now how how much how how much gravity is in that because now he's gone and just yeah. be able to share that with him on such a special night for you in front of everybody that you know. I he mean, had that's no beautiful. idea who I was. He didn't, he was just visit. He was just hanging out with him. his friend and he was moved and he shared that with me and I was like, wow, that's a moment. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, it was one of those ones. You if anything, flash it before you. your eyes yeah, be- when you die. Just, <laughs> like, just be honest. Just yeah. be, speak from the heart in everything you do. Thank you for coming on and yeah. being so honest. This was great, buddy. Yeah, thanks, dude. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Chris Garcia, ladies and gentlemen. Follow him on Instagram at RadTuna and follow him on Twitter at underscore Chris Garcia. And please check out his new podcast, Scattered. Listen to it on Spotify. It is incredible. I'll also be posting Chris's Spotify mixtape so you can get inside the musical mind of Chris Garcia and every one of our guests. And you can find all of that and all things 500 on the website, the500podcast.com. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com and follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Do us a favor, subscribe to the 500 on Spotify or your favorite platform. And if you are listening to it on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Come on, take a minute out of your day to leave us a review. Now, we just listened to Big Star from 1978. For new music this week, our music director, Matt Pinfield, selected Mondo Cosmo. Mondo Cosmo is originally from Philly. A couple years back, he released the brilliant album Plastic Soul with the epic, undeniable single Shine, which sounded like a cross between Dylan and The Verb. Ooh, I like The Verb. Mondo always talks about how Big Star and Alex Chilton were very important influences on him, as well as Bowie and Noel Gallagher. Listen to Mondo Cosmo's latest release called Come On on Spotify. Check out the link on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you're in a band and you're directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500 website, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Police Week with their 1983 album, Synchronicity. Listen to it on Spotify, because y'all got some homework to do. Stay fleecy, you kadoogles. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Who out there? 
Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Numbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Next Chapter Podcasts.